looking at Paul's final farewell. He is, uh, at this point, we don't know, uh, a few days, a few months away from being beheaded. The Christian historian Eusebius said that Paul and Peter were actually martyred on the same day. Paul was beheaded and Peter was uh, hanged upside down. And of course, the way the Romans would kill Christians Um, In a lot of perverse and very, very painful ways, Paul uh, being beheaded was probably one of the most merciful ways to be killed. Um, Nero at that time, this is 64 AD, it's the same year in which Nero went mad. Um, Most believe that he's the one who set the fires throughout Rome, blamed the Christians for it. And then, of course, after the fires, he confiscated all of that property uh, for his house to grow in size. And it was that same year where he would um, put Christians in cages and light them on fire and to make them like the lamp while he rode his chariot around at night. Uh, He was quite insane. And this is the time period in which uh, Paul is standing before Nero to see what his sentence would be. Well, we come to chapter 4, verse 9. And Paul, writing to Timothy, this final letter, he says, be diligent to come to me quickly. We learn that Paul was a saint, but he was simply a man of flesh and blood like you and I, with emotions and a soul like any other man. He was lonely, um, just like all of us, he wanted somebody there to encourage him and give him affirmation. He wanted the companionship of somebody familiar. I think all of us want comfort when we're heading towards death in particular. But uh, Paul being in prison for such a long time, and as we're going to learn that he ended up being very much alone at the very end, uh, and it wasn't an easy thing. Um, We read earlier in in 2 Timothy 1 that all in Asia had turned away from me, Paul says. So it was a very lonely season, that final season of his life. And um, he knew that the church was uh, mocking him, making fun of him, not respecting him. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says in verse 5 through 12, Now, if I come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great effective door has opened to me, that there may be many adversaries. And if Timothy comes to you, See that he may be with you without fear, because Paul was being belittled by these churches, especially the church in Corinth, and we see that Timothy uh, was in fear with the thoughts of visiting the church uh, and the churches within Asia. For For he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him. That was what was happening. Paul was being despised, and so were his comrades. But send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge you to come to you with the brethren. But he was quite unwilling to come at this time. He just didn't want to go into a negative situation um, being uh, associated with Paul. They were treating Paul so badly and, of course, his followers equally. However, he will come when he is, has a convenient time. Now listen to 2 Corinthians 10 and, and hear the attitude of the church towards Paul. Do you look at the things according to outward appearance, Paul asked in verse uh, 7? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. And if I should boast somewhat about about. Uh, our authority, which the Lord gave to us for edification and not for you and your destruction, I shall be ashamed. 
Thus, I seem to terrify you by letters. For this letter, they say, are weighty and powerful. But in bodily presence, he's weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that we are in word by letters when we are absent, such as we also will be indeed when we are present. And so Paul is uh, having to try to tell his guys to not be discouraged about this season that he is so unpopular and those associating with him are so unpopular and uh, he's being despised. So Paul writes in this letter of 2 Timothy, all in Asia have forsaken me. Um, the, the, the host of people that once prayed for me and supported me are now believing uh, the liberal media and, and they're, they're just completely saying horrible things about me and Timothy and Luke and Apollos and the guys that are with me. And so, come. And part of the reason he wants him to come quickly, because he's a little bummed and depressed. Notice verse 10. We looked at Demas a little last week in a different context. But it says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Then Crescens for Galatia and Titus for Dalmatia. We're going to look at those in a minute. We're going to take verse 10 and add it to verse 12 when Paul had to send uh, another person out as well. But notice here, he's saying um, the crowd that maybe you think is around me, the support you think that maybe I'm having, I, I'm not. I do not have support right now. And uh, on top of that, I am pierced to the heart. Um, Demas, you remember, and Philemon, he's mentioned as a fellow laborer. And sometime later in Colossians 4, he's mentioned as just one who greets you. And now he says he's departed. Earlier, Paul says, I am departing to be with the Lord. That's a different Greek word. This Greek word departed is actually a strong term. It's leaving a person in a helpless, dire situation. It's abandoning somebody while they're in great need. That's the Greek word here. And Paul is saying, at a time when I needed people to support me, um, he's been in prison many times. He stood before many different Roman uh, government officials, but he always had a support group, but not this time. I wonder if Paul, when he was writing Hebrews, was thinking of Demas when he said, don't stray from the faith in Hebrews 2 or this verse in Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14. Maybe he was thinking about Demas. Beware, brethren. Hebrews 3, 12. Got that one? Yes, there we go. Hebrews 3, 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, why it's called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. For we are become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Maybe Paul had saw Demas, who was a fellow laborer, and then later just, he says, hi. Uh, he doesn't call him a fellow laborer or in that passage in Colossia. And now we, we see that he's departed. Maybe Paul's looking back going, I knew that um, there were some compromising things in Demas's life, and I saw things that he would normally not be a part of, being a part of it, and uh, that lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, that boastful pride of life can grab you. And all of a sudden it says that Demas, instead of loving the kingdom to come, he loves this world which is a, a pretty strong statement to say that he is no longer following the Lord, even though he was once uh, one of the apostles next to me, preaching the gospel and uh, seeing the great power of God as well. Well, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. Let's look first at Luke. Luke is still there. We remember 
Luke from Colossians 4, 14, it tells us that he's the beloved physician. In Philemon, he's called a fellow laborer. Luke was one of those guys with Paul, if you remember, when the ship wrecked on Miletus, and he survived that shipwreck on the, excuse me, the island of Malta, and he, he was there with Paul um, at that time. And if you remember, the book of Acts was written by Luke. The first part of it's concentrating on Jerusalem and Peter and the gang, but then there's a clear shift in the Second half of Acts is all about the journeys of Paul, and it's no longer talking about it um, as, as a person who's recording history. He says, and we went here, and we went there. And, Paul, and Luke was right with Paul through half of that book of Acts. And of course, the longest gospel, the most comprehensive gospel, the gospel of Luke. He's the author of it. And so Luke, in his own right, was an amazing guy. But of course, he didn't write about himself and tell us uh, his, about his sermons and him praying for people and being healed. But Luke was right there, step in step with Paul. Uh, and he was there in Rome with Paul. Of course, Paul was in the Mamertine prison. Luke would have not been able to be with him. Remember, in the first imprisonment of Paul, they allowed him to rent a house and his guys could live there with him, and people could come in and out. It was almost like not being arrested, but Paul had to stay in the house. That was the only part of it. But um, and this time around, it's not that way. Paul's in a very hardened prison. And then he also mentions Mark. This is John Mark. You guys might remember this story back when Paul's going now with Barnabas on his second missionary journey. And he's taking his nephew, Barnabas's nephew, John Mark. And we don't know what happens, but um, John Mark says, I'm out of here. And he goes back to Jerusalem. Every, there's all kinds of speculation from he missed his mommy to he missed his girlfriend to uh, he got beat up and uh, said no more of this. But on the second missionary, on the next missionary, the third missionary journey, um, Barnabas was determined to bring John Mark again, even though he had not uh, carried his water on, the first, uh, on the, the first time he was with him on the second missionary journey. And it tells us in, in Acts 15 that him and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement uh, to the point that Barnabas said, if John Mark doesn't go, I don't go. And Paul took Silas and Barnabas took his nephew, John Mark, and they did their own separate missionary journeys. Now, interesting, because the video camera uh, follows Paul and Silas. And uh, so I guess Paul was right, or he was the man that Barnabas should have kept supporting. Uh, we don't know about Barnabas. We do know, however, later in 1 Peter 5, that Peter calls John Mark, my son in the faith. So evidently, like Timothy was Paul's Timothy, uh, John Mark became that son in the faith to Peter. But whatever was lacking in John Mark, Paul's path crossed with him, and he saw that deficiency gone. And in Colossians 4, he mentions um, that Mark... The cousin of Barnabas is with him and greets him. And if Mark happens to come to the church in Colossae there to receive him and, and welcome him. Uh, and then in Philemon, Paul mentions Mark as one of his fellow laborers. So whatever was going on there, God worked it out. You know, I, I think that we just got to understand, guys, there are times where godly men severely disagree. Sharply disagree. I, I mean, I think God's providence is in that for whatever purposes. Um, and, and uh, you know, whether it's a lacking in the one of them or both of them, you know, who knows? I just know as long as we are in human flesh, we are going to see good men of God with 
both incredible <laughs> arguments for where they stand, and you can't disagree with either one of them, um, I think the, the answer is, is, is just don't let it divide you. But in this case, because they were having to head out on a missionary journey, uh, they couldn't agree, and so they couldn't walk hand in hand. But I, I'm glad that Paul um, had a change of heart. I'm, I'm glad that Paul was open to, to John Mark growing out of whatever it was, to grow spiritually from where he was. I, I don't think that Paul was against Mark. I just think he was saying he's got more growing up to do or there's some more spiritual maturity that needs to happen before he takes on the places we're heading to. Uh, I think it'll be too hard on him. Uh, we don't know. But either way, we see a beautiful picture here uh, at the end of Paul's life saying that, that Mark coming to me uh, would be a great comfort. Interesting. Well, back in verse 10, the very end of verse 10, it says, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. And then in chapter 4, verse 12 now, he says the third person, Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. So as Paul's finishing his letter, he's saying, you might have thought there was a group of guys with me, but... Demas, who was supposed to be right here along with me and Luke, um, you're going to have a hard time believing this, Timothy, but he has completely departed from the faith, and he's not here with us anymore. He actually moved all the way back uh, to Thessalonica. And you might have thought, Christens is here, and you're wondering why not, but nope, the church in Galatia, I had to send him down there. And Titus, I had to send over to Dalmatia. And, and Tychicus, I had to send to Ephesus. And so I put a map up because I'd like you to know where these places are. And uh, do we have a map of the first one of um, Galatia there? Were you able to pull the maps up? Uh, okay. Okay, pretend there's a map up there. Um, <laughs> Here, I, I, got, I got a picture of it. Can you all see this? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think so. But you can, you can look afterwards. We'll have show and tell. But uh, I thought there would be the maps up, but I guess not. Bummer. Anyway, um, that's your homework. Look at a map of, uh, map of Gal Galatia, and, and uh, well, you, you'll see them uh, there. But Dalmatia was actually Europe. And we do know from, Acts, or from Romans 15 that Paul had made it to uh, Illyricum uh, because that's uh, there, which is Croatia today, um, down by Split. We used to take our, I used to take a group of uh, pastors and, and missionaries and so forth um, from Hungary. We'd drive about 12 hours from Hungary down to the Aegean coast there, and we'd go to outside of a place called Split, which is very famous. Uh, there, which is the famous Dalmatia area. It's Croatia today. Beautiful, beautiful ocean there. And then right across from that is Italy and Rome. Um, Tychicus was the guy that had delivered more letters probably than anybody. Tychicus, um, we know, had delivered um, the letters also to Ephesus and Colossae, and probably is the guy that's delivering this letter to Timothy um, as well. Sort of threw me off not having the maps there. So let me get my rhythm back. Um, Tychicus is one of Paul's companions and fellow laborers in the gospel accompanying him in part on his return journey from the third missionary circuit of Asia. He stayed behind in Asia, perhaps at Miletus, with Paul again in his first Roman imprisonment. Um, and also, we learned that he was well known to them uh, in Rome as well. So he was a beloved brother and faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. And so these were some guys that had been of great strength 
and support to Paul. And even though he was in incredible time of need himself, he could have easily justified saying, I'm, I'm in more need than the saints in Dalmatia. You know, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to an unusual point of death. I'm going to keep these guys around. We see Paul thinking of the church way above his own needs and his own cares. Well, in verse 13 now, bring the cloak which I left with Carpus at Troas when you come and the books, especially the parchments. So again, we see Paul is, is very human here. By the way, I, I left a more like a poncho, what we would say, a, a, a garment that would hang over and, and keep you dry and sort of you put your head on it that would be over the outer garments, almost a rain garment type thing. And uh, he left it. Now, many commentators believe this is where Paul was arrested on the, for the second time before he was taken to Rome. And the Roman law is that you couldn't have anything extra. If you weren't using it, then you couldn't take it. And so Paul left it with the saints in Troas saying, go ahead and use it, uh, maybe keep it, but maybe I'll need it later and you can bring it to me. And then these parchments, um, it's actually referring to vellum sheets made out of animal skins. They would have been very, very expensive and also papyrus skulls. So this is probably a Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, at least parts of it. And it probably also was the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament as well. Possibly part of the New Testament. He might have had um, things that they had taken notes along the way of, of what Jesus said and did. Um, you might remember in Acts, Paul actually has a verse from Jesus that's not even in the Gospels. Where Paul quotes Jesus saying, um, as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And uh, there was an added. So also Luke was with him. Luke might have had some notes there where he had been taking from all the apostles and writing the gospel of Luke. But it's interesting that Paul knows he's going to die any day, but he still wants to keep studying and growing and, and his own heart being strengthened in spirit, uh, even though he's on the last few days of his life. In 14 and 15, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he greatly resists our words. So Timothy um, was not calculating rightly the danger of this guy. It's very possible that Timothy uh, was thinking, well, you know, Paul, you sort of did push uh, Alexander's buttons when you were here. Um, and, and I'm not that way. I'm a different personality guy, it seems. And, um, and I, you know, I've learned to just stay away from him and he'll stay away from me. Or, you know, I just say hi to him and try to ignore the bad things he says. And Paul is saying, do not underestimate the damage of what this guy would do. Barley, Barclay and his commentator said, it appears that Alexander is a renegade Christian. You might remember in 1 Timothy 1.20, Paul says, among whom are Hymenes and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So he believed that this is actually a backslidden Christian who began teaching various heresy. And then also because he was such a wealthy man, um, this guy who was at one time a maker of idols, and maybe again, that he had some serious political clout. And he said, be aware. This guy is not what you understand to the, de to the depth uh, that you should understand it, how dangerous this guy is. And I'm afraid for you. But it's interesting that Paul just said, may the Lord repay him according to his works. Just like Paul taught us, right? In Romans 12, 17, what did Paul teach us there? Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And then in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. And Paul says that very thing. May the Lord 
judge him basically, give him back according to the deeds he's done and those who are against me because he greatly resisted the word. It wasn't that he just didn't believe. He was an enemy of Paul's and an enemy of Christ because he did not like the message Paul had. Well, in verse 16, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Now you compare this in Acts, Paul went before all kinds of guys down in Caesarea Philippi. And Luke and the gang were there and notes were taken and we actually have the speeches Paul gave in front of all these different Roman governors. But here, I don't know if Luke overslept or got stuck in a traffic jam. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. But, but Luke, who no doubt was in Rome, for whatever reason, was not there when Paul needed him to be there. And when Paul was standing before Nero, now in the Roman uh, government, you would actually see him twice. The first time is to give your apologia, your, your argument, your, to give your case to yourself. You're your own lawyer, or you could have somebody do it for you, but you present why uh, Nero should show you mercy or, or, or give your side of the story. And then after that, at another time, and again, you may die between these two scenes of Nero, but at some point, you're going to come back a second time and um, at that time, you're going to either be found guilty or not guilty and then sentenced. And Paul had already gone to the first scene of Nero. And Paul was looking around and there was nobody there to give him that, that moral support. And, uh, and, and Paul, it, it shook him. It shook him. It really was making a difficult situation harder. And he just simply says, these Christians in Rome, the church in Rome, the guys that are pastors and leaders, and of course, uh, even Luke, who was in town, didn't make it, just may God not charge against them. It's almost like they were in disobedience, and uh, dad's going to spank them for this. And it's sort of the big brother saying, dad, uh, don't, don't spank them. Leave them alone. Yeah, they should have been there, but, uh, but they were disobedient. And Paul's saying that, that there should be consequences to the fact that they were not there when they should have been there. But like Jesus on the cross, what do you say? Father, forgive me. No, not what they do. Now, we often think of that as the Roman who put him on the cross or the Pharisees saying horrible things about him. But remember, it was only the Apostle John that was there. You strike the shepherd, the prophecy was, and all the sheep will scatter. And they were all gone. Peter, the night before, <laughs> denied the Lord three times. And, and so I think he's also praying for those apostles that should have been brave and strong and, and there to comfort Jesus while he was hanging on that cross. But only Apostle John was there. And the women, all the women that supported Jesus were there. And Jesus says the same thing Paul here, forgive them. Don't bring a charge against them. Also, you might remember, Paul was holding the garments when the first Christian martyr was stoned, Stephen. And remember Stephen, when he was dying, the same thing that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Lord, forgive him. And Paul here now is in his last days finding that same exact heart of Jesus and of Stephen. Just, it's okay. People fell. People fell us. That happens. I don't want you to judge them on my behalf or punish them on my behalf. But he says here, the Lord stood with me. Isn't that awesome? You know, it's, it almost doesn't matter if anybody else is there, right? But uh, we're human, so we really do need human support, human souls, human spirits, the power of presence, right? 
people often when they go to the hospital or go to a funeral and they're like, I don't know what to say. And, and I can tell you, uh, people say the absolute stupidest things. I don't know if I do better, but they often say the absolute worst thing. They, they just, they're trying so hard. But there's a point where there are no good words, right? And, and they can just sound sort of trivial or empty. You know, they're in a better place. I hope you're happy. Um, oh, I'm not happy. I know you're not going to be happy, but I just, you know, I, I don't just hope they're in a better place. I mean, I, I know they're in a better, you know, it, it just, and it, you really don't have to say anything. It's just be there, right? The power of presence. The Lord was there. He sensed God's spirit powerfully with him. And so when man fails being what we should be, God is there for us. He's the father to the fatherless, right? So when the person's presence is lacking, God's presence is there. And in verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So we saw in, in, in 1 Corinthians 2 and that passage where Paul said, when I came to you, I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling. And, and, and there was just nothing left that God chose the weak things. And that's me. God chose the despised things. That's me. God cho chose the helpless things. That's me. And, and through a weak vessel, his glory would be made great because they know it's not the human vessel. And then he said in chapter two of that, when I came to you, that was me. And we often think of Paul being this confident guy and, and you know, nobody's going to move him. And yeah, come on, get me in front of Nero, man. I'm going to tell that guy what's up. And in reality, Paul was probably anxious and shaking and depressed and, and worried. And, and you say, well, why would he be? It's just, he's a human guy. And on top of that, he said, the Lord delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. It was, it was vicious, the demonic attack. Could you imagine the demons fighting Paul? You know, I used to pray so hard for Chuck because when I would be around Chuck Smith and be at a camp with him or at a conference or whatever, it's just like, man, this guy is affecting so many people. He must have a demons attacking him that I, I've never even uh, been a part of that or experienced that. Well, I'll tell you what, all the demons in Rome over those principalities were there that day when Paul was standing before Nero and he felt that and he felt so weak and he thought, man, I woke up and I almost have laryngitis and, and I'm, I'm just so tired and I had diarrhea all day yesterday and they're not feeding me very well and I haven't been outside and I've got this rash and, and I'm cold and damp and, and oh, I just, I barely have enough energy to stand up and walk and, and he's trying to get the strength just to get to the palace to stand before Nero. And he's thinking, man, I, I don't think anybody's going to be able to hear me. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But I, I know that the demonic pressure was great. And he just said, man, when I had no power of my own, the Lord strengthened me. And as I began to preach and stumble over things and stutter and I couldn't find my rhythm, then the Lord's spirit came on me. And just like should have happened, the Gentiles heard the gospel. These men in places of power that never would have heard anything but their own voices and their own politics and their own clubs and their own sauna houses, they never would have heard this street gospel. But they did because the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Psalm 60 verse 11, David had this same experience. Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. In King James, it says, vain is the help of man. Through God, we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Amen to that. And then deliver me out of the mouth of the lion. Interesting, Psalm 22 is the psalm that 
as David's writing it, it's actually the mouth of Jesus speaking when he would be going to the cross and hanging on the cross. And these are the words of the things that Jesus was thinking um, there as he was going to the cross. In Psalm 22, 21, it says, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. And 22, 13, it says, they gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. And of course, we know that Peter tells us that this is Satan. In 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So be aware of spiritual battles. Be aware that, that not all weakness is human. It could be demonic oppression. That when things aren't going right and you're just like getting frustrated to stop and to say, you know what? In everything, Christ should be glorified and, and just stop and to realize this, this is spiritual world we live in and we're here for God's glory and, and to stop and to pray and to let God be a part of those difficult, frustrating moments where man is failing you and people are upsetting you and, and you're disappointed in what's going on. Well, in verse 18, and then Paul says, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever, amen. We see Paul in this depressed place. Timothy, ah, uh, Come quickly, man. You can feed me some soup and hold me up. And, and I'm freezing. I hope I get that coat. And I have nothing to do here. I need some parchments and I need some spiritual uplift. I need my Bible and my books to, to encourage my heart in the Lord. And, and, and there's nobody around meeting the simplest of needs. And, and, and the day that every Christian in Rome should have been filling that place, not one showed up. Not even Luke. But then we see him encouraging himself in the Lord, but the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. So on one hand, he's talking about Satan and his attack and, and, and through men like Nero trying to destroy the work of God. But on the other hand, deliver me from evil is talking about our own human weakness and our own human sin. Every evil work. I think Paul's talking about his bitterness, his disappointment, his depression. As we read in this letter, Timothy, everybody in Asia is forsaking me. I'm not letting you do that. You're my son in the faith. And then we hear the struggle of these people that are spreading their doctrine like cancer. And Paul's just going, oh, I've been beaten with rods and whipped and shipwrecked. And but the thing that smashes me the most is the daily concern for the church. And the church, the majority of the Christian church through Asia Minor, Minor Turkey today, they've all forsaken me. They're all saying horrible things about me. And, and, and just how I laid my life down. I was stoned to death at that place and beaten with rods in that place. And, and that's how those churches got started, was on my broken bones and, and my bloody body. I'll show you in my body the scars that I preached Christ and am crucified. And now, since these guys that came up from Jerusalem are preaching against the grace of the gospel as I preached it, the gospel the Lord gave to me, they're all now completely writing me off. And, um, and so Paul was human. And, and he realizes, I got these human weaknesses, these human sins, these struggles. And, and he's struggling with bitterness. He's struggling with disappointment. And, and guys like Demas who, who went back and fell away from the Lord and, and left him at a time he needed him. But the Lord has, is, and will always deliver me. Where our sin abounds, grace abounds more. In our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. I think Paul could say it the best way he did in Philippians 1.21. For me to live 
is Christ and to die is gain. And so after thinking on these things, he just says to him, be glory forever and ever. And here's his first amen. We're going to have three of them here. The word amen just is so be it. Confirm it, Lord. Do it, Lord. And then he says, uh, well, I got a little more to say here. Listen, we're not done yet. I thought I was. Verse 19, greet Pisgah, which is short for Priscilla and Aquila. This is the gal Priscilla and her husband Aquila um, back in the book of Acts who were teachers of the word. And then the household of Onisphorus. We talked about him earlier where this was the guy that used to seek Paul out and meet his needs. But now even he had cut Paul off. But Paul, again, is, is reaching out to these guys and saying, hey, I don't care what their attitude towards me is, love on them. And in verse 20, Arrestus stayed in Corinth. Trophimus, I have left in Miletus sick. Arrestus, we know from Romans 16, 23, is that he was the treasurer uh, of the city. And then also in Acts, it tells us that he was with Paul when Paul went to Asian Minor and, um, and, and Timothy and Orestes were there that, and stayed with Paul. And so he was a, a, a city official, no doubt a Roman, but yet he is there uh, in Corinth and he wants Timothy to know he's not too far away and uh, be strengthened. And then he wants to tell Timothy that Trophimus I, I left him, he was sick. I had to move on. I, I, I couldn't stay there with him. You know, this really shoots down the health and wealth gospel. You know, where they always say, if you're not healed or if you're not wealthy, it's your faith because God would do it if you could believe it's all your fault. But yet when you, you look at the book of Acts, I mean, the miracles were when they were going to a new place, preaching the gospel for the first time. And that's what Mark 16 says. As you go out to preach the gospel where it's not been preached before, signs and wonders would follow to confirm that. But you look at Paul and Acts, man. I mean, he he's, sees a guy and says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He just sees the guy has faith while he's preaching. And everybody wants to praise Paul. And Paul starts ripping his garment and, and saying, believe me. I have zero power from me to do anything. This is 100% Jesus. And even the thought that Paul was this guy. But yet later on, Paul, as he was making tents, would get sweaty and, and get a sweat rag and he'd throw it down and he'd go to pick it up and it's gone. And he found Christians taking Paul's rags and taking them hundreds of miles away all over Asia, laying them on the sick and they were healed. And, and even laying them on people that were demon-possessed and the demons coming out. Now, the health and wealth would like to say, oh, you know, that's the power of Paul and, and his sweat, you know, uh, the power of Jesus and his sweat. It's like, no, it was their faith. Just like when Peter was walking and as his shadow fell on people, people believed and they were healed. So it's really according to your faith. Like the woman with the hemorrhage, she purposed in his heart, when I touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I'll be healed. And Jesus turned and said, it's not the holy garment. It's not some trick. I don't want 3,000 people a day trying to touch the bottom of my garment. It was your faith in God that you're healed. But here, believe me, if Paul had the power, if Paul had the ability to heal anytime he, he wanted, he would not have left Trophimus sick in Miletus. It simply was not God's will to do a supernatural healing on that brother. Well, we're almost there. Verse 21, do your utmost to come to me before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. So Timothy, you, you better get here quick before the weather turns and, and you can't cross the seas or before I'm beheaded. <laughs> I can get called back by Nero anytime. And I, I would say, don't think you can wait another month because I, I may not have my head on my shoulders when you come. But I, I want you to come quickly. And, and, and quickly, I, I mean right away, before winter comes, get here. And then there's some guys here you don't know. We don't have any knowledge about them. I don't think Tim, Timothy did either. But there are some fellows in the church in Rome here 
these Italians, uh, we know that their names are in Latin. They're right there from Italy somewhere. And he says, you got some brothers in the faith that I want to introduce to you. And then in verse 22, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. So we see here that Paul is, is saying, man, I just am praying right now that the Lord come upon you as we see that we would strengthen, be strengthened in the inner man to be able to have a fruitful life. I'm not going to pray for your body. I'm not going to pray for riches. I'm not going to pray for health. I'm just going to pray that that beautiful faith that I saw in your mother and in your grandmother that I knows in you, that you would blow on the spiritual gifts you once walked in and get that fire going again, that you'd be that evangelist that I know you can be, that you wouldn't be a scaredy cat, but be the brave man that, that I know God can make you to be. And, uh, and here I am in my final days of life where you would think there would be uh, hundreds of thousands of Christians showing up to, to fill the streets and, 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 and shout for the demand, the, shout, the, the release of the great apostle Paul, or at least a, a group from every church coming. And, and I would you know be having a line of people every day, a uh, hundred long, trying to see everybody I could. But Paul is telling us, the glorious Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, at the end of his life was not a popular guy. That the gospel of grace was being rejected. The gospel that we know, half of the New Testament, of the writings of Apostle Paul, most of him he wrote during this prison time. I mean, we wouldn't have the New Testament. <laughs> without Paul being in prison on this second prison imprisonment. So we're thankful for that. And of course, I don't think he understood that he was not just reaching Galatia or Colossae or Thessalonica, but he's reaching Red Bluff 2,000 years later. And, uh, and so the, the spiritual impact he was making was great, but yet you wouldn't have known it looking at him on earth. You wouldn't have known it by talking to Christians that had been saved by him through his ministry. You wouldn't have known it by going to the churches that through his blood and sweat and tears and without any cost to them, making tents all day long, preaching as much as he could and paying for himself and all those with him, that there would be no money coming from the places he was presently at so it wouldn't be twisted why he would stay three weeks one place and three days another place and three years another place. He, it wasn't about the money and he didn't want that to be perverted. He didn't want that to be calculated. But yet we, we, we find Paul sort of ingloriously, sort of like our Lord Jesus, if you would, hanging between two thieves. Paul would be in prison around guys that should be there. <laughs> and he would go before a mad king as Jesus did. And he would stay true to the word of Jesus, the gospel, right to the end. But it wasn't a glorious moment. It was him by himself in a line of other guys, and he gave a speech. God's power was perfect in his and his weakness, and the message did get out. Um, but it wasn't glorious looking at the end. But yet, if Paul could have lived another 100, 200, 300, 400, 2,000 years looking back, I'm from heaven right now. He's one of the great cloud of witnesses, right? And he, he is saying, man, that's okay. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But uh, in my body, I want to run that race and finish it and it's perfectly fitting here, isn't it? That the last five words of Paul are this. Grace be with you. Amen. The gospel of grace, he called it in Acts 20. Jesus of his fullness received grace upon grace. 
of his fullness, we received him. And now he's just like, whatever you think of, when you think of the apostle Paul and my son Timothy, your father in the faith, if anybody asked you what was the last words I said, was may the Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. So be it. Amen. Well, Lord, we thank you tonight that that's our message here, that your spirit would strengthen us right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look line upon line, precept upon precept, sometimes it's an exciting sermon like David killing Goliath, and sometimes it's just running through a list of names that are in your records for eternity. Heaven and earth will pass away, but these final words of the Apostle Paul to his son Timothy will last forever. And Lord, we hear it. We hear your spirit 2,000 years after this was written speaking to us from your heart, our Father, speaking to us, your kids. Grace be with you. In your grace, Lord, your love, your kindness, your mercy, that the world would see our love and our love for one another and our love for the world, and they would know we're your disciples. Above all things, having a fervent love for one another, not by our power, but by your grace. When they mock us, we love them. When they spitefully use us, we pray for them that we're not overcome with evil. Quite the opposite. Your grace would give us the power to take down any lying stronghold of the enemy and any hardness of the heart of a man, that your grace, your love, your kindness, your mercy that you have towards us every day would flow through us, freely receive and freely give in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful evening. Announcement. Next week, we're going to start the book of Colossians. Okay? If you want to read ahead. All right.